One Sun, Three Flowers is a one-stop shop for the entire family. Our mother-daughter clothing brand promotes self-care, unity, and wellness for the entire tribe through apparel. We created the One Sun, Three Flowers shop a few years ago when we challenged ourselves to create clothing that promoted self-care, self-love, and wellness and help you connect to your highest self and your tribe. Head to the onesun3flowers.com shop and save 20% when you use the code PODCAST2020. That's O-N-E-S-U-N, the number three, flowers.com and save when you use the code. Enjoy Flower Tribe. Need a space to advertise your business, book, event, or next great idea? Get in front of a consistent following of dedicated listeners. To learn more about how to advertise with us, email us at onesun3flowers at gmail.com. Hey, Flower Tribe. Hey, Flower Tribe. Hey, Flower Tribe. Welcome to our One Sun, Three Flowers podcast, Stories of Our Mothers, a wellness and self-care podcast designated to uplifting the voices of women of color. Author, self-love activist, educator, mother, and poet, Courtney Brookins will help you bloom into your best self and encourage you to make self-care part of your daily practice. Join the tribe as we embark on a journey of healing, mothering, womanhood, and collectivism through the ancestral practice of storytelling. Whether you're looking for an infinity space, sisterhood, or mommy tribe, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, mother, and self-care enthusiast, Courtney Brookins. The Honorable Cynthia Cobbs. Justice Cynthia Cobbs was appointed by the Supreme Court of Illinois as a justice on the Illinois Appellate Court in January 2015. Prior to her appointment to the Appellate Court, Justice Cobbs was appointed as a Circuit Court judge in September 2011, having been evaluated and found qualified by the Chicago Bar Association and the Alliance of Bar Associations. She was slated by the Cook County Democratic Party and won election to the circuit court seat in 2014. Early in her legal career, Justice Cobb served as a senior judicial law clerk to Supreme Court Chief Justice Charles E. Freeman, the first African-American judge to serve on the state Supreme Court. Justice Cobbs thus became the first African-American to serve as a senior judicial law clerk on the state's highest court. Justice Cobbs has numerous years of experience with law and she has received numerous achievements, some of them being early on in her tenure as director. She secured one of the three federal technical assistant grants from the National Institute of Corrections, which introduced evidence-based sentencing practices in Illinois trial courts. She also developed and hosted Illinois' first statewide 
Child Welfare Summit, bringing together national speakers, trial court judges, states' attorneys, prosecutors, and child welfare practitioners for the purpose of developing strategies to improve outcomes for children in the child welfare system. In addition to her achievements, she's received numerous awards, some being the National Bar Association's Herman Sweat Award in 2018, Cook County Bar Association Kenneth E. Wilson Award in 2017, and the Sweet Holy Spirit Justice of the Year Award in 2016. Justice Cobbs serves on numerous boards of directors, several committee associations, is involved in countless activities, and also holds memberships for several bench and bar associations. Her education comes from Morgan State University, where she received her bachelor's, which is located in Baltimore, Maryland, and she holds a master's degree in clinical social work from the University of Maryland. She's also a graduate of IIT, Chicago Kent College of Law, Justice Cobbs was admitted to the Illinois Bar in 1988. Hello and welcome to another episode of the One Son, Three Flowers podcast, Stories of Our Mothers. Today, I am joined by Justice Cobbs. Justice Cobbs, thank you so much for joining my podcast. Courtney, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk to new hosts uh, about the judiciary and things that are going on important uh, in Cook County in particular. You are so welcome. Um, I am excited not only to have you on here. I know we have elections coming up soon, but I'm also excited because this is Women's History Month and I have a phenomenal woman on (laughs) this podcast here with me. (laughs) Wow, thank you. This is, we're flowing out of Black History Month into Women's History Month. So it is absolutely apropos that you and I are having this conversation because as you know, Courtney, there is an important election coming up. You just mentioned it. And in 2020, on March 17th, we're going to have an opportunity to elect a new justice to the Illinois Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. And we have an opportunity this time to elect an African-American woman. That would be me. And I would be the first. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Yes. It yes. Is, it's exciting. It is exciting. It's exciting. It's amazing. And I guess I just want to jump right in and ask you mm-hmm. in that spirit of that conversation, mm-hmm. what women have impacted your personal and or political journey? You know, there are so many African-American women that I can think of that come who come to mind who really have traversed and overcome a lot of barriers to really get to the place where they wanted to be to really realize their dreams and their aspirations. I don't think any of us. Um, whether you're a lawyer or a judge or anybody else, can overlook the impact that both Harriet Tubman have had on um, kind of like the trajectory or the spirit of African-American women in pursuing dreams or doing something meaningful uh, of some use, 
usefulness to society. I mean, she's just such a legend. And I think she comes to mind more frequently now just because of the movie that's been out about you know, journaling her life and her life story and how courageous she was in overcoming so many barriers just to be able to help those who continue to be enslaved. I mean, it's just, she's just like, she's just like a miracle worker. I know they call her the Black Moses, that too, but she's just like such a tremendous figure um, in our lives or in my life. And, you know, another, another political figure that I like to watch, of course, is Nancy Pelosi. I just think she has such spirit and such gumption. I mean, and she really, really, really is so courageous. I mean, she stands up to the, you know, the people who are in power and she speaks her mind and she takes a position and, you know, there, there are no if, ands, or buts. So you can't tell Nancy what Nancy can't do. I love that mm. in Nancy. I just love it. And then yeah. a, third, a third person that I talk about a lot is a woman um, who actually graduated from my same law school. She's an, uh, an African-American woman, Ida Platt, who graduated from law school in the late 1800s, actually from Chicago, Kent, wasn't called that then, but she was the first African-American woman who had graduated from Chicago, Kent, and she was the very first who was admitted to practice law here in the state of Illinois. And it was difficult for her. Many times she had to pass for white even to be able to engage in the practice of law. So those women inspire me and make me know that I can, no matter what the barriers are. So, you know, those are, those are just a few. There are so many. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you so much for answering that. Mm -hmm. So going on to discuss your philosophy Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you are a proud resident of South Suburban Cook County. <laughs> yes. And I'm wondering, <laughs> how has your geographic location and experiences impacted your judicial philosophy and law career? So when I am talking to voters in Cook County about this particular race, I talk a lot about the work of the court because that's important to know. You have to understand what the work of the court is in order to know who is the best candidate to serve on the court because the Supreme Court is not just like any other court. But I also talk about the makeup of the Supreme Court. So currently, um, the three justices who represent Cook County, and one is the temporary appointee, the interim appointee, but all three of them hail from the city of Chicago. And that's great. I love the city of Chicago. We all do. We love its great theater. It's great restaurants. But the South Suburban part of the county is just as integral, as just as significant as is the city. And I think that to have um, a more balanced representation on the Supreme Court, the South Suburban part of portion of Cook County could benefit by having someone from the Southland serve as one of the three Cook County justices on the Supreme Court. So I think it's time for the Southland to enjoy a seat, a representative seat on the state Supreme Court. Wow. Thank you. Yes, it is time. And thank you for saying that. Yeah, it is. It really is. I don't know. Um, I've looked back historically and I've never... I've not been able to find a time when any of those three justices were from anywhere outside of Chicago. And that's great. But in terms of balance and representation, uh, I just think that in, in fairness, 
or just to have that uh, more balanced representation, it's time to include more than the city of Chicago as the Cook County represent representatives on the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. And in the spirit of representation, I know we began talking about women's history and the impact of women in mm -hmm. your personal and political career. And I'm wondering, as an elected official, what work have you done and or do you plan on doing to impact laws connected to women and women's rights? Well, that's um, that's really kind of like a, a, a big, big, big question. And yeah. <laughs> that, um, you, you know, we, we can't really talk about a lot of women's rights without somehow suggesting how we might rule on a case that involves women's rights. So we get a lot of questions about women's reproductive rights, women's rights to choose, equal rights for women and that kind of thing. And certainly those issues will bubble up sometimes to the Illinois Supreme Court. But to, to engage in any kind of conversation about what I think about those or how they might be uh, disposed, because um, some issues, particularly those that might involve questions related to a woman's reproductive right, the right to choose abortion, those kinds of issues are the ones you anticipate would likely be presented to the court. For instance, there is a law on the books now, the Parental Notification Act, which historically has created or presented a question to the Supreme Court to answer any type of question that would indicate or suggest how a judge will rule on that is strictly prohibited by the code of judicial conduct. So I can't comment on um, what the court might do, um, particularly as it relates to women's rights. But what I can comment on is some of the, the broad work of the court in certainly making sure that every litigant who needs to use the court system or who comes into our court system has their case fairly and properly presented to a judge. And I call it access to justice. And you'll hear a lot of people talking about it because it's really, really a hot button issue now with regard to, especially with regard to the number of individuals who come into the court who are not represented by attorneys. Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So moving on, having, I know that you have worked with the Illinois courts for 30 years. What <laughs> is 30 plus years? Um, what is your vision for the state given an appointment as Illinois Supreme Court, as the Illinois Supreme Court Democratic candidate? So you're aging me, you know. Uh, <laughs> Just reading your bio and your stat. <laughs> you're aging me, but that's okay. I, I own my age. You know what? Because to get to my age is just like a blessing. Because if I wasn't my age, I'd be somewhere else. So I'm not, I'm not upset about it. So, you know, I want to talk about really what the work of the Supreme Court is. And that might give you a sense of some of the initiatives that I would seek to engage my colleagues on the Supreme Court once I'm elected. It's important to know that the Supreme Court is constitutionally mandated to do two things. One is to dispose of a percentage of cases that the court decides to take. You're not entitled to have your case heard just because you appeal it. The Supreme Court has the discretion to hear your appeal or not. So they do that. They hear a percentage of cases that they deem important or significant to settle the law. The other work that the Supreme Court does, though, is to administer or to oversee and supervise the entire judicial branch. 
we are the third branch of government. And just like the governor oversees the executive branch and the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate oversee the legislative branch, the Supreme Court, with the assistance of the director of the courts, oversees the judicial branch. So there are quite a few administrative matters or administrative items that I would seek to engage in in dialogue or in working with the Supreme Court. And one of them really involves, again, access to justice. So when I was a trial court judge, I would be in a courtroom, whether it was eviction or debt collection, and even the pro se court, meaning where litigants didn't have attorneys, these people would come in, individuals would come in, and they would want to present their case, but they wouldn't really have the wherewithal or the knowledge. And they would be apprehensive about it, of course, and they would not be knowledgeable about the law such that they felt comfortable in presenting their cases. I think that what the Supreme Court could do would be to require senior law students who are those students who are nearly finished with their law studies and who are supervised by licensed attorneys to really help at help desk or you know pods any litigant who couldn't afford an attorney to have some advice or some direction from a senior law student again who is supervised by a a licensed lawyer to help that individual maneuver the court system. I think it would be fairer for those litigants. I think that it would enhance confidence in the court. And I think that we would see self-represented litigants or pro se litigants, as we call them, have a result that they can be more confident students, be required by the Supreme Court to devote a percentage of their time as what we call um, 7-Eleven students or students who are licensed to engage in the limited practice of law to devote a percentage, to be required to devote a percentage of that time practicing to helping pro se litigants or litigants who come to the court who don't have the wherewithal to understand the court proceeding, be able to um, follow pleading, to be able to draft the pleading. The Supreme Court could utilize 7-Eleven students or third year law students third-year law students who are under the supervision of licensed attorneys to help those individuals maneuver the court processes and feel confident about the case that they presented and to really feel confident that a judge was able to understand their case and to render a just or fair ruling. Mm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So, I noticed that in the beginning, we led a little bit with talking about you being one of uh, the only African-American woman who will be elected to this position. Mm-hmm. And given that information, um, I'm wondering, since the Illinois Supreme Court is majority white, how important is diversity to you in this election? And also, how committed are you to focusing on issues connected to criminalizing people of color? So I'll say a a little bit about both. You're right, our Supreme Court currently, um, which is comprised of seven justices, is predominantly white. There are currently three white women who serve on the court and three white men. The one seat that unfortunately and regrettably we continue to refer to as the African-American seat is the seat that is currently Um, the one for which I am vying to fill by election. That seat had been held by my mentor, my boss, Justice Charles Freeman, who was the first African-American male. And so I'm seeking to fill that vacancy and 
to fill it not with the male, obviously, but with an African-American woman, because I think we bring a different perspective um, mm-hmm. sometimes than uh, even African-American males do to particular issues. And I have a particular uh, or unique background. I come from social work uh, as my undergraduate degree or my graduate degree before entering into law. So I know that my 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 experiences are quite different from those who are running who come purely from a legal background. So diversity is important. You know, it relates directly to confidence in our courts. When the courts do not uh, reflect or mirror the populations that we serve, we run the risk that individuals who use our courts are not confident in them. Because if no one looks like you, you don't necessarily believe that they can think or that they can understand the issues or the problems or concerns that you have. So diversity is critically important and certainly critically important on the high court. But not only diversity, but the kind of experience to serve on the court is important. I applaud all of the other candidates who are running and who have been serving as judges. I'm a judge. Certainly, I think we are all legally competent. We all know how to find and apply the law. But I'm the only candidate running who has actually participated as the director of the Illinois courts, working for nine and a half years with the court in running the court system. So it's not just diversity. Diversity is certainly important. It's high up there, and I hope the voters will pay attention. You know, I am the only African-American woman who is running. There are people who will be on the ballot whose names might sound like they're a woman. There is um, one male whose name I won't say, but it sounds like a man, a woman. But there's only one African-American woman, and that's me, Cynthia. Cynthia Cobbs. I'm the only African-American woman running. Now, you asked the second part to your question, and that was really related to criminal justice reform, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So, The Supreme Court really is um, the programmatic, the policymaking court in the state. All of the rules of evidence are promulgated and codified by the Illinois Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uh, also oversees the delivery of probation services throughout the state. So there are opportunities for the court to be involved in looking at criminal justice reform, in looking at bail reform, and in setting some policies and procedures. Some of our Supreme Court rules actually address the issue of bail and the court in its rulemaking authority, certainly can look at those rules and make some determination as to whether or not they are fair, whether or not they should be amended such that we are not simply applying bail or bail standards uh, to individuals who really cannot afford to pay bail uh, in order to get out of jail, especially for those lower risk offenders who might not even be uh, those individuals who would be subject to reoffend. So there is work, there is an opportunity. The court certainly has rulemaking authority to do some things, but we cannot do that. And sometimes we, we forget that the legislature also has a role in criminal justice reform. They write all the statutes that the courts have to apply. So while the Supreme Court in its role as the administrative body over the judiciary and over all of the courts has some role and can take some some initiatives to improve criminal justice or reform some of our criminal justice um, uh, initiatives, there are two other, one other branch of government that should and could be involved in kind of collaborating on that. Okay. 
Thank you very much. And in that answer, I also heard you mention something about sometimes people not having faith in the judicial system. And that Mm -hmm. leads us right into my question related to the millennial vote. Um, You have an extensive career, as we discussed, in law and politics and Mm -hmm. social work, as you just mentioned. But a lot of millennials have been against voting because they truly don't believe that their voice counts and countless other reasons. And sure. I'm wondering what you will, will be your response to the reluctant millennial vote voter. You know, it's not uh, uncommon that individuals will not go into the polls because they believe that their vote does not matter. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is the system that we have where we have the one and only opportunity to determine who will be making decisions for us and about us and that affect us. And that couldn't be more true than with judges. So we vote for the president of the United States. We vote for United States senators. senators. We vote for state senators and representatives and all of these other kinds of local elected officials. But the one elected official that anyone is likely to encounter in their lifetime is a judge. Whether it's a traffic court case, whether it's an eviction case, whether it's a breach of contract case, somewhere, sometime in your family, in your neighborhood, on your block, someone is going to be confronted by the court system. They're going to be called into court to do something, or they're going to want a judge to do something about an issue about which they cannot reach resolution without the, um, without the engagement of the courts. And so, yes, voting for judges in particular is critically important. We need to make certain that we have judges on the bench who understand human nature, who understand issues that are related to different segments of our population. Not a judge who just is one who has no empathy, has no compassion, has no understanding of human behavior, or is just so dead set on, you know, just applying the set of, of rules or statutes to the facts. You don't, That's not what you want. You want to make certain that people are exercising their right to vote, particularly for judges, vote for everyone, really, but particularly for judges, because those are the individuals who can impact your life forever. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And so as we're closing out, I always like to ask the question, Mm -hmm. um, are there any words of wisdom in general that you would like to leave to potential voters, whether it be the millennial voter, um, the African-American voter, a Chicagoan, whoever you want to speak to. Mm-hmm. Are there any words of wisdom that you could leave with our, our everyday w- listener sure. um, and someone who's tuning in to this podcast? Okay, sure. Don't ever take your vote for granted. Don't ever think that your vote doesn't matter. Your vote is really your only voice in the election process. Your vote is the only way that you can at least have a chance at putting into office those individuals who you believe will serve your interests or will serve the communities well. So it is a right. It's a privilege that we enjoy. You don't have to pay for it. Probably one of the few things that you don't have to pay for. And it's one of the few things that our parents, our grandparents fought hard to secure for us. So we should never take it for granted. And we should always realize that even if the vote, the person that we voted for doesn't succeed, your voice was still heard. You still had the opportunity to make your voice heard and to choose. 
you never want to give up your right to choose on any aspect in anything. So this is your time. This is your moment. With respect to my race, this is our moment. African-American women represent less than probably 10% of justices who serve on the state Supreme Court throughout the country. When I'm elected as the first African-American justice on our Illinois Supreme Court, I believe I will only be number 14 out of all of our states, the state's highest court. And so I think we need to do better. I think we can do better. I think we can bring that diversity. I think we can break that glass ceiling. And I think it sends a powerful, powerful message to all of the individuals that will come behind me, all of the young people who are, you know, watching and looking to determine whether they can be that which they see. And once they see me on the Illinois Supreme Court, it will be a resounding yes you can. So I hope that on March 17th, when you go to the polls, you will vote for me to serve as the first African-American woman on the Illinois Supreme Court. My punch number is 164. And I encourage people, everyone, always research. You can find me at www.justicecobbs.org. And so again, pay attention to what the work of the Supreme Court is, because if you don't understand the work of the court, you're going to vote for the wrong person. I've got the experience, both deciding cases and in administering the court system to do the work of the Supreme Court. Wow, thank you. And can you say that punch number just one more time so we make sure that they have it? I'm going to say it this way because this is really kind of like catchy. It's like this. Don't walk out the door unless you've punched one, six, four. Wow. That is (laughs) catchy. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Justice Cobbs, for being on this podcast. I truly appreciate all of your wisdom and information that you have left with our listeners. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed talking to you. And I always enjoy talking about the Illinois courts because it's been my life's work for, as you know, 31 years. Thank you. And to the rest of our tribe, remember to tune in weekly on Wednesdays and don't forget to vote. Until next time, remember to bloom into your best self. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the One Sun, Three Flowers podcast. Check out show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.onesun3flowers.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. We want to connect with your tribe. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And remember to bloom into your best self.